Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you would be open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll continue a study we began this morning as we think with God, we can belong to His church. And what a wonderful blessing it's been this weekend to be a part of the Lord's church. Uh, We've been asking the question for just a little over a year now, probably just a few weeks longer than a year. We've been asking the question that if the congregation of the Lord's Church here in Mount Juliet ceased to exist, would anyone in the community notice or care? And I think that all of us would agree that that has been a blessing to ask that question. And I think that surely all of us would agree that the increased efforts to reach out and to serve our neighbors unconditionally, to simply let them know that we love them, that we care for them, and we would love for them to be a part of us. It has brought amazing response from the community, uh, a lot of positive response, and no doubt, whether it's reviewed positive by the community or not, doing right is simply the right thing to do. And what a blessing it's been to know that in that area, we're doing what's right. Uh, Yesterday, uh, the Lord talks in the scriptures about giving a cup of cold water in his name. We gave warm, hot chocolate in the name of the Lord. They knew, they received invitations to come and and worship with us. And the facility was open for folks during the parade to come and use the facilities and warm up inside. And... They came by the loads. As a matter of fact, just before the parade begun, we already ran out of hot cocoa, and Buddy Pickler had to make a mad rush down to Kroger. And I don't know if we mixed the cocoa that much stronger this year or we served that many more people. But uh, last year we served somewhere around 350 people at least, and, and this year I would say we served anywhere from that number to maybe another 100, 150, 200 more. Uh, many of you helped with that. Thank you for your help. It was definitely a blessing to be a part of it. And the evening, several of you came up to help each other. And, and it was the parents' night out. It was good to spend time with the children. And hopefully it was a blessing to some of the parents, especially this time of year when there's a lot to do. And then today, the widow and widower's luncheon that was held here at the building, such a blessing. To be among some of the best people in this congregation is always, always encouraging. We appreciate so much the good that Dennis has led in that. And, and he mentioned this afternoon how much Jeremy Kelf and Mitch Poskovich has helped in, in his ministry throughout the time that he's led it. And, you know, that's the way every great ministry is. It, it takes a leader, but it takes a lot of people leading the way. And, and we're so thankful to have a congregation full of individuals that's willing to be a part of that. And a part of that is what we'll even discuss tonight. We're thinking about with God. And by the way, keep in mind, if, if you haven't yet signed up for the daily Bible readings, there's still the sign-up sheets on the Information Center, and we will be placing an order tomorrow. Uh, there will be other orders too, but it will just expedite it. Uh, a little more quickly, if you know that you want that, sign up for that tonight. We've been thinking about with God we can all year long. And this month, with God, we can belong to His church. And today especially, we think about the design of the Lord's church involves increase. The Lord expects for us to have a, an increase in the number, not for numbers' sake. You know, as, as humans, as people, sometimes we get tied up into the numbers. And that alone would be very vain. It would be worthless. But when we recognize that every person has a soul, every 
every number as a representation of a soul. And for that reason alone, we should want an increase among the Lord's body. And so we looked at Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse 16 this morning, where he talks about what causes growth of the body. And it would be very, very selfish for us to have a mindset that says, I want the ways of the Lord in my life. I want to be saved. I want to have peace that passes understanding. But I'm not really concerned if, if others have their not. That, that just, you can't work that into Christianity. Christians obviously are concerned about the souls of others. And we see that alluded to here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Look, if you will. Down at verse 16 where he says, From whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and knit together, but what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, here it is, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And we talked this morning about in these 16 verses, we have at least four things that the Lord tells us that causes growth in the body. One is there's an attractive attitude. You know, there's probably a lot of us that have been a part of the study of the Scripture so long that we would like to think that what attracts people to the Lord's body is that the Lord's body teaches the truth. Think about this for a moment. Neighbors on our street that have never really studied the Scriptures, they don't know what's true and what's not true. Truth is not going to attract them. The love of God will attract them if we have Christ attitude. And once they're attracted, then that gives us the opportunity to teach the truth. In other words, if if that doesn't make exact sense, let's just look the way it's laid out here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. What we looked at this morning is in verses 1, 2, and 3, we looked at that attractive attitude. And you see, especially in verse 2, it was lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And we talked about how all those things are attractive. Those are the things that we do not find in find in the world on an unconditional, consistent basis. And when individuals in the world see that, it's attractive. There's something that draws them that says, I want to know more about that kind of life. But then, when we think about how it applies to people that are guests here, that visit here for the first time, we ask this question, what causes someone who visit our worship service and think, I want to come back? And that's where we give a summary there of those verses that we've read. It's when individuals are willing to take ownership. They're willing to say, it begins with me. They're willing to be humble. They're willing to be meek. They're willing to suffer long. They're willing to forbear with one another. All of that is review of where we were this morning. But now, for the second point, let's look in verses 4, 5, and 6, and let's see what is probably some of the hardest verses in the Bible. Not hard to understand. They're real simple to understand. They're just very hard to live out. Because here we see a very exclusive teaching. Christ gives us a very exclusive teaching. When we read in the fourth chapter in verses 4, 5, and 6, notice the word one. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of the calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Think about the word one. In other words, if the Lord says there's one of something, that doesn't give you and I a choice. We either choose to walk with the Lord and accept that oneness or we leave the Lord. In other words, the very first one he says, one body. 
If there were two churches, the Lord would have said, there are two bodies, you choose which body you want to be a part of. Or today, where there are literally hundreds of religions, the Lord could have said, there are hundreds of churches, you choose the one you want to be a part of. Now keep in mind, if you're a guest here this evening, let's emphasize this, we're not talking about what we have formed as a belief. We're simply looking at the Word of God. It might be offensive if somebody said, This person said that there's only one body. This person didn't say it. God Almighty said it. God said there is one body. That's exclusive. Now, we didn't start this church. We have to decide if we want to be a part of that one church. That one church was started by Jesus Christ. Before it started, he said to Peter, Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Acts, the second chapter, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and that was the beginning of the Lord's church. Think about these simple facts. If our calendar is right, we're not talking about the Scriptures are right. We're not talking about the Scriptures are right or wrong. The Scriptures are right. If our calendar is right, the Lord's church started in A.D. 33 in Jerusalem, and it was just that, the Lord's church. Do you want to be a part of that one church? If you're a part of any kind of group that was started after A.D. 33, that's not the one church. If you're a part of a group that was started by some man other than Jesus Christ, that's not the church. If you're a part of a church that began somewhere other than Jerusalem, that's not the church. Someone says, that's offensive to say that. Friends, we're not worried right now about somebody's feelings. We're worried about our soul. We're worried about, as I said before, the most difficult passage in all the Bible where the Lord says, I want to give you seven building blocks and everything that you need to believe, its roots are going to go back to one or all of these seven things. Do you realize everything about our faith goes back to these seven building blocks? Three of those building blocks are part of the Godhead. God the Spirit, God the Son, the Lord, and God the Father. And then, after those three, he says there are four others that are one in nature. And we need to make sure that we teach that. We need to make sure that we have submitted to that. And we need to make sure that we love it. And make no apology for the truth. The Lord said, there is one hope of the calling. We studied about that last week. Our hope is not talking about a wish or a whim. When we talk about from the scriptures, this kind of hope, one hope of the calling, it is because there are promises that God has made and we have one hope of that calling. We believe that God's promises are true. But now notice, when we go to verse 5, He begins that with one Lord, but then notice that other one. One faith. What is faith? Now, he's not talking about the fact that you need to believe and I need to believe. In other words, we're not going to to have a right relationship with God riding on someone else's coattails. Of course, we're all to have our individual belief in the Lord. He's not talking about that when he says one faith here. He's talking about the system of belief that is formed from a study of the Word of God. Romans 10 and 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. If I were to say to you right now, I have a faith that says that lying is a sin. Do you have that faith? Where did we get that faith? That faith came from the Word of God. I have a faith that says that that we ought to worship. 
And the Scriptures teaches us how we should worship. Where, where do we get that? From the Scriptures. Our whole belief system is to come from the Word of God, and that is the one faith. Now, if we take only a portion of that and, and pull out some parts that we don't like, we don't have the one faith. Or if we take that and add into it some parts that, that we want to put additional creeds and man-made doctrines into it, we don't have the one faith. But when we take the Word of God, nothing more, nothing less, we have the one faith. And I notice he also said... Keep in mind, he's only listing seven ones, and outside of the Godhead, there's only four ones that in, 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 in our roots, they all go back to this. And the other one that he says, one baptism. Now, we live in a religious world where there are a lot of baptisms. But how many does the Lord have? We have baptisms today in America where... There's the sprinkling. That's not baptism by definition. Baptism is immersion, but it's called baptism by many. That's the sprinkling of an infant. We have the sprinkling of adults. We have baptism for the dead. We have baptism of those who are saved. What's the Lord's baptism? There's only one by this point in the Scriptures. Keep in mind, before Jesus Christ died on the cross, you had John the Baptist and his baptism. But that was fulfilled. John died before Jesus did. And, and then that's why, like the verses we read this morning, that's, that's part of the reason why there was such a significance there in the Great Commission when he said to go out and to baptize in the name of John. No. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why it's significant in Acts 2 and 38 when those individuals said, what should we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of John? No, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So see this, one baptism is the Lord's baptism. It's in the name of the Godhead. In other words, the authority of the Godhead. And what's it for? The verse we just looked at, Acts 2 and 38, is for the remission of sins. Acts 22 and 16 is to wash away sins. First Peter 3 and 21, he says, Baptism doth also now save us. In other words, baptism is that point in time that our sins are washed away. It's not that baptism is, is, is a work where we deserve or merit salvation. That comes by God's grace that we're saved. But what is our response to God's grace to be? According to the Scriptures, He says there's one baptism that I want you to be a part of. Why is all this important? Somebody says, you know, if you just water some of that down, you might could increase the church to even greater numbers. But then that leads us to this question. Are we trying to increase the number of people in a pew? Or are we trying to increase the number of people in heaven? And that's why the exclusive teachings of Jesus Christ can never be sacrificed. Friends, as much as this congregation means to us, us and the fact that we love each other, we love coming together. I, I love Sunday nights. It just feels like a, a cozy family atmosphere. But you know what's more important than just the positive vibes or the warm and the closeness that we have from each other? Far more important than that is to say, 
the exclusive teachings of Jesus can never be sacrificed. That's what will cause the Lord's church to have true increase, to have true growth. But there's a third thing that he mentions here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and it has to deal with the type of leadership. And I'd like for you to look down in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 11. We see a mention here of leadership that actually would have also been referring to the leadership of the first century because we see the apostles mentioned in this. And he says in verse 11, he, gave some, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Let's finish that sentence in just a moment. Isn't that interesting? He himself gave some. Where did leadership come from? God said he gave some to be. You mean God's the one that designed leadership? Absolutely. Do you realize there is nothing about mankind where a group of men or women sat down thousands of years ago and they said, you know what, we need to start allowing somebody to lead us along the way. We just don't do very good walking alone. Do you realize nobody ever has to have that conversation, but every culture has always created a leader? God designed us that way. If people could move without leadership, the children in Israel, when they were in slavery, would not have had to wait for Moses to come back and lead them out. If people could move successfully through life without a leadership, there wouldn't have been judges back in the Old Testament. And there wouldn't have been later on kings to lead the people. If people could move successfully without leadership, the church would have been established without apostles. In other words, there would have just been some kind of preaching of the gospel and people would have been invited in out of the world because after all, can't people move out of the world and into a relationship with Jesus Christ without leadership? That's a question, isn't it? Think about it, can they? Have you ever seen someone come to Christ that was not led to Christ? Now, I know somebody's going to say, if I was on a deserted island and I found a copy of the Word of God, couldn't I learn enough to know how to be saved? And technically, the answer is yes. Now, find somebody in the Bible that came to Jesus Christ without somebody help lead them to Christ. It doesn't exist. Why? People can't lead themselves. God designed it so that civilizations, groups, individuals, even families need leadership. As the apostles were dying, the Lord didn't say, let's appoint new apostles. The Lord already in His plan had elders being appointed into every congregation because we need leadership. Now, who are the ones mentioned here? In, in verse 11, it's those that simply have influence over the lives of others. The first two would deal definitely in the first century in the miraculous with the apostles and the prophets. But notice the next part of the list would carry on even today as he mentions evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Evangelists is what we oftentimes today call the preachers, the pastor. This Greek word in this text is translated everywhere else, shepherd. It's dealing with what we call shepherds or elders. And then teachers... And so it's those that have influence in the lives of others. They're leading people through their spiritual life. Well, what is it that God has in mind as we think about growth-focused leadership? In other words, it would be very easy by human nature for a leader to get caught up in the power of leadership. Oh, I'm going to be recognized as a leader. And we begin to, out of pride and arrogance force leadership so that we look better, 
so that we can have our way and a multiple of other things could be the hidden agenda. Why does God want leaders to lead? Very important. God wants leaders to lead to help people grow closer to Him. When we talk about growth-focused leadership here, we're not talking about just numbers. We are talking about helping individuals grow. Have you grown in 2009? Now, I know that each of us are responsible for ourselves. But you know, also, the leadership in this congregation is responsible for you. And you know, if across the board, we had a congregation that did not grow spiritually in 2009, it would be a reflection of the leadership. What kind of leadership do you want? What kind of leadership do you follow? We're blessed here to have an eldership that, that does so many things in such effective ways to help us grow closer to the Lord. They hope that people come on Sunday, on, uh, Sunday morning Bible classes and Wednesday night Bible classes. Why? It's a way that the Word of God can be increased in the lives of the individuals. You see, that takes us right into the next verse. What are the reasons that God gives leadership? You see those leaders listed in verse 11, but that's not the end of the sentence. Notice F-O-R. Notice what leaders are for in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What are leaders for? Leaders are to help people be equipped. And equipped with what? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. How are we equipped? Only by the Word of God. What are leaders to do? Leaders are to make sure that people are constantly learning the Word of God. When we think about Bible class teachers... Think about how important it is for the teacher to realize God literally speaks to you in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 11 and 12, and says you have influence in the lives of people that are in your class. Help them learn the Word of God. Think about elders. Think about ministers. The responsibility that God gives to say, help these individuals learn the Word of God. Nobody can make somebody learn the Word of God. But we as leaders must have the expectation that people that love God will take that responsibility and follow that lead. But notice it's not just about the equipping, but notice in, in verse 12, it's equipping of the saints for what? For the work of ministry. Equipping them for service. We learn the Word of God. Why? So we can be scholars? Have you ever thought about this fact? This is not a pleasant thought. But have you ever thought about the fact how many scholars there will be that won't be in heaven? There's a lot of people that know the Bible inside and out, but they have not transformed their life to live for Jesus. And so here he says, I want leaders that can help people learn the Word of God. Why? So that they can be ready for the work of ministry. In other words, the work of service. In other words, we learn the Word of God not only so we know better how to live, we learn the Word of God so we know better how to serve other people. Make sure that we don't ever fall for a very secular view of leadership in the church where it says elders are spiritual leaders and deacons lead physical works. 
That's a shame to describe church work in that way. That's in kingdom work. It's spiritual in every aspect. Elders have the oversight of the congregation and deacons are to lead that congregation under the elders' oversight in service. Isn't it wonderful to think that if everybody in the life of this congregation said this next week, I want to get involved in service, do you realize that there is already a ministry in place and a place for you to serve And the only way that ministry can exist is because there's a leader in place that says, I realize my responsibility is to help other people serve God. I want you to get busy. I want to help you. Isn't it awesome to think if if we have have a high school young lady that says, I want to learn how to teach, we have a ministry in place to teach them how to teach. Isn't it wonderful if we have an adult that says, I I want to get involved in, in doing mission work through the mail. There's a ministry in place for that. Somebody says, I want to be, get involved in reaching out to, shut, to shut-ins on a weekly basis. There's a ministry for that. You can't hardly name something that should be going on in the life of the Lord's church in this place without the answer being, would you like to start this week? There's a place for you. Friends, the only way that that can take place is to have leaders that are ready to lead the people in ministry That's why there's eight more names being submitted now as deacons is to take that work and spread it broad so that there is a place for everybody to serve. I need to ask myself, can I be faithful to God and not serve in His kingdom? Just mull that over. Can I be faithful to God and not serve in His kingdom? That's why leaders recognize the importance of obeying Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 11 and 12. Leaders recognize if we're going to help people grow spiritually, we have to help them learn the Word of God. We have to help them find a way to serve in the kingdom. And then that reason, it concludes there in verse 12. For the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, for the edification means building up. For the building up of the body of Christ. Something's wrong. If leaders help people learn scriptures and they help them get busy, but God's body is not built up, that's where pride and arrogance would come in. When we do it God's way, we're going to work hard, we're going to accomplish a lot, and it's all going to be for the edification of Christ's body. He's going to receive all the glory. It's not about any of the leadership or any of us as a congregation individually or as a whole, breaking our elbow to pat ourselves on the back. It's about humbly giving God all the credit and being thankful that He's allowed us to be a part of the kingdom. I'd like to use this last point as an invitation. If we're truly going to have growth in the body of Christ... We see from verse 13, 14, and 15 that there has to be a focus out in front of us that's not on this earth. Notice here how the focus is on the Lord. And as we read these, I'd like for you to think about your life and think about, is is this a description of you? He says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. It's interesting here when He gives us that focus back in 13 to say, We're striving to become a measure of the stature of Christ. That's a tall measure. Surely all of us could say, as Paul said in Philippians 3, we've not yet attained. But every day, we want to grow to be closer like Him. You know, when I did my list of a hundred things at Thanksgiving, there was naturally some individuals that had been baptized this year that was on my list. That's always such an encouragement to see people want to serve God. But you know also what was on my list were some individuals that had been a Christian for several years. But it was obvious this past year their spiritual growth was so encouraging to other people. To see that fire still alive in them and and to see that they truly are growing closer to God and they're encouraging other people. If you can't look back over a year and see growth, if you can't look back over three to five years and see growth, we've got to really stop and ask ourselves, do I see a measure of Jesus Christ where I'm saying, that's what I'm trying to obtain? If we're always looking earthly, we're always satisfied with where we are. But if we have our eyes on Jesus, we realize, I have some growing to do. And then in the next verse, he says, you know, it's kind of like children. And the idea of children here is not a compliment. Here he's talking about immaturity. He's talking about people that spiritually they ought to have roots. Spiritually they ought to know where they're going. But instead, they're so immature that Satan can lie to them and they fall for it. Satan can be deceitful for them, and they don't know the truth. They are just tossed to and fro. Whatever Satan throws at them, it causes them to stumble every time. And so coming back to the very next verse, he says, what we need is individuals that can speak the truth in love, and in that, grow like the head, Jesus Christ. Friends, there's a combination of truth and love. It's powerful. You know, the Word of God, truth, is like a two-edged sword. And it's a dangerous weapon when it's yielded without love. Lies told with love is dangerous because there can be quite an appeal to that. But there is nothing Nothing that gets close to the beauty and the power of truth and love. I hope that all of us are working every day to speak the truth among our family with love. To speak the truth at our workplace with love. To speak the truth among our friends and our community with love. That's a part of getting to that measure of Jesus Christ. We can't sacrifice the truth 
And we can't sacrifice love and succeed in growing to be more like our Lord. What causes the church to grow? An attractive attitude. Exclusive teachings. Growth-focused leaders. And a behavior that's literally Christ-like in its transformation. What we've studied tonight is this morning's a tall order. None of us have arrived there. But let's make sure that we're all on that journey. If you've never begun that journey, why not tonight? If you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost the way, why not come back tonight? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing. Have you all-